consumers in Canada, in the US, everywhere, are demanding transparency. The reason why they're demanding transparency is they don't trust the system. They don't trust the process. They don't trust that there's actually offers they're competing against. And if there are offers, they don't trust the information that's being fed to them is actually real. Welcome to the Tom Story Show with Steve Karish and Tom Story, where we discuss everything real estate or whatever else is on our minds. Steve, ready? We are ready to rock. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Tom Story Show, your Sunday weekly real estate roundup podcast. Try to say that three times fast. I appreciate you being back here. If you're watching us on YouTube, make sure to like this video if you find anything valuable, and I guarantee you are going to find this episode valuable. If you have not already, make sure to subscribe and join our growing community. If you're listening on the audio platforms, make sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We would very much appreciate that, and I hope you are having an awesome day. We have a jam-packed episode today, a guest that I am very, very excited to have here. And frankly, I don't know what took us so long to get him here. It's probably because he kept saying, no, 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 I'm not going to do it. (laughs) And then finally, we convinced him. Nathan Dart has joined the show. Nathan, I was thinking, like, how do I even describe you to people that don't know you? So I think I'm just going to kind of wing it. All right. I I trust you. He's He's an international speaker. In terms of the people that I look up to in real estate and I've learned a ton from, like, this is the guy. Like, truly do mean that. I've learned so much from Nathan. Like, he's propelled my career just as much as anybody else, very much at the top of that list. I know you're a regular on the news in the States. He's an American, just for the audience to know as well, Uh, our Canadian audience. I do speak Canadian. So just as everybody knows, you'll you'll be fine. (laughs) He does speak Canadian. He sells in Maryland, the DMV, which is just outside of Washington. He runs Dart Homes at Long and Foster. He is a real estate trainer. He's a nice guy. He's a dad. He's our friend. And he also happens to be the senior vice president of Final Offer which is an open bidding platform, which is here to save the real estate industry. Nathan, welcome to the show. Thank you, guys. It's nice to be here. And what, well, you don't look up to Steve? Steve didn't help you in your career at all? I mean, what is this? Steve, does this, he starts every show like this? Does he ever give you credit? No, I'm actively holding him down, actually. Uh, <laughs> so thanks for your charity work. You, you know, Tom, it's good to give back. So, yeah. Nate. Yes, yeah, so uh, thanks, guys, for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Yeah, well, we're very, very excited to have you here. And there's a, I want to spend a lot of time on today's show on the open offer and the blind bidding. And is that the reason prices have gone up? Because you have a perspective on this that nobody else has. Because not only are you involved in a company that's doing it and bringing transparency to the industry, but for your own listings as an active real estate agent, I know your team's selling well over 150 homes per year. You're seeing the results. And I'm going to kind of like leave that a little bit. We're going to go into that in depth in a, in a few minutes. But I just want to start. So who's Nathan Dart? Just for the people that don't know, I know I gave you the intro, but who's Nathan? That was a pretty impressive intro. I don't know if I can top that. Uh, <laughs> but in addition to what Tom is telling you, uh, I, you know, I, husband, you, you forgot to mention that. And Danielle, yeah, here's sorry. this. Tom. You're going to be in trouble. Sorry, Danielle. Uh, yeah, no, uh, so yeah, no, uh, uh, Danielle and I have two kids. We're just outside of Washington, D.C. I'm a second generation real estate agent. Um, I grew up in this business my entire life. My dad launched a Remax franchise in Maryland back in the mid 80s. And uh, I took my real estate classes when I was 17. My parents could not keep me out of the business. It's the only thing that I ever wanted to do. 
My dad said I did have to go to college first before I got started, but I've been actively selling real estate now for just over 22 years. Uh, I do run a real estate team as well. I've got 13 people on my team. Uh, we serve the uh, DC, well, DC metro area, Maryland, DC, and Virginia. We help over 200 people buy and sell real estate uh, on average per year. And uh, no, I love this industry. Uh, this is something that to me, it's a lifestyle, it's not a job. Um, I'm grateful that I get to work with my past clients every day and I get to enjoy the people that I work with and surround myself with. When it comes to the contribution in the marketplace and the industry, because it is, for me, it's family, it's, it's a lifestyle. That's where I enjoy the contribution I can make by speaking, training, coaching, you know, around the world is, uh, is always great to be able to do too. But most importantly, also for the consumers, that being the people that are actively buying and selling real estate, I want to be able to offer a unique and lasting positive uh, impact on the marketplace that we serve. And uh, so uh, we're going to get into a little bit more of that. But um, but yeah, a little background. That's that's me. You know, everyone that's watching, I just want you to recognize what a real professional speaker looks like, because you can just tell right off the hop here. Nathan's just got it. He's just got it going on. Um, Nate, I'm going to start on the more doom and gloom side of things for a moment. OK, now we are going through what is uncertain times. Our interest rates over here in Canada have significantly increased, very similar to what's going on in the States, where, you know, we're basically following the Fed in terms of what they're doing. Um, and there's a lot of people saying, hey, you know what? It's not that bad yet, but just wait. It's about to get real bad. Like this is happening. Now, Nathan, you've you sold through 2008 in the States. And not much selling, but yes, I was in the Well, you still. tried to sell real estate in 2008. Um yeah. looking back at that time frame, not to say that's going to happen again. Nobody knows what's going to happen, but just to give the viewers a perspective of like we don't even really understand in Canada how bad it was or what exactly happened. You went through it. Can you kind of walk me through what that 2 to 3 years was like? Yeah, so, you know, back at that time, you'll start with how it started. It started, it started running about 2004, 2005, 2006, where you just saw property values continue to increase at just exorbitant levels, which is, you know, similar to what we've been seeing. But the reason why they're going up at such exorbitant levels is because they reduced the lending restrictions. They made it easy for anybody to buy a house. You couldn't even, you just had to show up and, and when you went to go see your lender, say, yes, I have a job and this is how much I make. There's no verification of funds or anything else. So people were buying these houses. They were putting little to no money down on it. So they really had no liability at all. And it was just a house of cards. And when the market you know, started to turn and people had to unload these homes, they were dropping so fast that they couldn't keep up. So they were upside down. The market that I serve, 95% of the homes that if I was to put them on the market at the time, would have had to sold for less than what they paid for it, okay? We saw some of our markets be down by 13%. That was actually really good. Where other markets were down by 70%. Wow. Okay? So this happened more or less overnight. There was actually about, well, there's two cliffs. Uh, one cliff, you know, it dropped about 10%. I'm like, okay, this there's no chance it can go any lower. Uh, well, I was wrong. Uh, it did, and then it dropped another 30% after that in some places on average. So. It was a scary time. It was it was difficult because the lending regulations were such that you know they're unfortunately they were created by policies and government and banking and what have you. Uh, we do not see that anymore now. Uh, we are very uh, we gotten definitely tightened things up as far as regulations in regards to lending. Uh, it was actually funny, not so funny. I didn't find it that amusing, not to be honest. But it was in two thousand, I think it was early two thousand eight. I was 
flying into Toronto to go to a Richard Robbins conference and meet with a bunch of my colleagues and friends uh, there in Toronto. And I was taking a cab from Pearson to the event center. And the cab driver was asking me what I did. I said, oh, you know, I sell real estate. I'm in the States. He's like, yeah, you know, something just doesn't make any sense to me is why in the world would somebody buy a house with no money down? Don't you realize that that was the problem? That is the problem with your housing? And I said, you know what? I never thought it'd be a cab driver that had so much you know, insight in regards to why the US real estate housing market was failing. And he was exactly right. He goes, you've got to put money down. And you know, so that was, that was the challenge. But yeah, it was, it was a difficult time. I remember going on listing appointments and um, I helped about 65, 75 sellers a year that were in distress. Either they were selling their home in short sale or as a foreclosure. And it was a very, very difficult time for families and, and homeowners. And, and um, yeah, I won't forget that. It definitely humbled me uh, in, my, in my growth as an agent. And as, as a, but we were able to get through it. Are the lending policies now the number one reason why you don't believe 2008 is going to happen again? Because it's not easy to go in and just get a mortgage. It's, it's actually very, very difficult. Is that the number one thing? And obviously with money, you have to put money down now. What is the minimum, by the way, in the States? Because in Canada, it's 5% up to 500,000, 10% from 500 to a million, then 20% over a million. What is it in the States? Well, in the US, one, let's start with this. When the US, we don't, we do have arms that are available. Like you guys do everything, it, you know, like what accelerates every five years. And, so and just you- for the, the viewer, that's an adjustable rate mortgage. We, we would call it like a variable rate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Since, since same thing. But in the states, on average, people are doing thirty-year mortgages, right? Mm-hmm. So you're you're doing a fixed rate, possibly over a thirty-year period of time, and you don't need to refinance in that thirty year because it's a fixed rate. So where you guys are turning them over every what five, seven, ten years, whatever it may be, um, with the refine. So in the states, it it doesn't really behoove, behoove you a lot to put a tremendous amount of money down because if the rates are low. You just, you know, financially, you just spread it out over 30 years and, and no big deal as long as you can manage the cash flow. So that's that's the difference. So, yes, the regulations causing people not only to have to put some money down, you know, the, some people can put as low as like three and a half percent down. They still have 100 percent financing even if available. Wow. But in doing that, they have to go through strenuous loan verification, making sure that you do have the job, making sure that you do have the money in the bank. Uh, they got to look at tax returns. And this is all was not happening back in, uh, you know, four, five and six. So um, so it's totally different circumstances. Plus, in this market, what we're dealing with is it's an inventory problem. Like yeah. we are not building. Builders are not building. And, you know, so we just have limited supply uh, right now in the D.C. metro area in Montgomery County, Maryland, the market that I live in and I serve. Uh, there's only one month of inventory in Montgomery County. So as long as inventory remains low, this market is going to continue moving. Yes, interest rates in the states right now are about 7%. We do expect those to come back down again. But you know, I can tell you, once the market hits about 6.5% as far as a 30-year fixed mortgage, the market's moving, right? It starts to slow down when you get in the upper 6 is 7. But I tell you, once we start dropping into 6 and 5%, which we're expecting by the third, fourth quarter of this year, the market is going to be absolutely nuts again. So it's... Um, you know, continues to move one month inventory. I have no concerns about the market overall yeah. here in the so, DC metro. I want to get Steve's perspective on this because Nate, I can understand on the American side why the inventory is so tight because people are locked into 30 year mortgages at two and a half percent. Well, I'm not selling my house and jumping up to the next one at 7% because that makes no sense financially. Right. And right. I don't believe in the States. Correct me if I'm wrong. You can't just like port that two and a half percent mortgage to the next property. Right. 
or it's very difficult. You can. Yeah, you so, so that's that's the difference. We're here in Canada. You can do that, but our rates are five years is is the typical you know adjustable rate that that we're taking here. Now, on our side of things, just to talk through this, and maybe Steve, do you want to jump in here? So, I want Nathan's perspective on the Canadian side of things. Like you've seen the worst of the worst in the states. What happened? I don't think your market's like our market right now because of the mortgages. We have people's payments who have doubled in the last eighteen months. Steve, you want to jump in here? I'm talking too much. No, I, I think you're you're okay. going great. I, okay. I wanted to point out to Nate that you got the best real estate advice from an Uber driver. This is yes. how we do it here. This is uh, he's, 30... he's a cab driver, not even Uber. Oh, Uber's okay. one of cab driver. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that is uh, that is who is buying the homes. Generally speaking, two million dollars plus. There's a news story about that here. That's that's kind of. Um, made the rounds in the YouTube comments. So it's quite funny. Um, but obviously, everybody talks about about real estate. So every time you get into a cab, that's what you're going to talk about. I got a story uh, we should probably... Uh, maybe I'll save it for another time, Tom, for, for a catch-up. But there is massive differences. And for John Bai, John, uh, who we had on uh, the show previously, walked us kind of through that. And it's just such a difference. People don't understand what was going on pre-2008 people don't get it people don't understand like even here if you were 35 percent down in canada in 2010 you needed to state no income you could buy whatever you wanted right so these the fact that um people think that this is currently the same kind of house of cards this is built on pretty stringent lending now obviously there's going to be a counter argument to that there was nate i don't know if you um follow the stories that happened here but there was some mortgage fraud that was uncovered by one of the the news outlets that sort of thing that's going to happen no matter where you are but to think that that is the majority of people getting loans is is kind of foolish um given the fact though that you are generally speaking like does anyone take anything other than a 30 year yeah, I mean, especially with rates at seven percent right now, they'll take an arm of a five percent, seven, you know, or a five-year, seven-year arm, and they can get that at like four and a half, four and a quarter right now. Uh, the reason oh, okay. they're doing that is they're they're anticipating rates are going to come down, right? So when they, you know, anticipating that rates are going to come down, they can always refinance later. Okay, so, so you guys do have the option, but then now you're restricted by the fact that yeah, if I have a two percent. Uh, what's my benefit to move? Because right now, what we're seeing is, let's say, for instance, somebody's sitting in a $800,000 townhome. Actually, I just did this calculation with somebody. It was about a 950 townhome. To get to the detached home, their payment would be $8,500 a month. So to move, I love how both your eyebrows just went, wow. <laughs> so they're currently in a $2,900 a month payment. And to get to the next step, it's $8,500. So that's why everybody's stuck here. And there is a little bit of what you're seeing restricted inventory due to the fact that people are kind of stuck in the mud. Yeah. But Steve, so that's for them to jump up and get a new mortgage rate at a much higher purchase price. Let's yeah. not even talk about that for a second. Let's just say they stay where they are and they've got a year left on their fixed rate at 2.7% and when they renew they're at 5.5%, right? That's what I think is more of the worry right now. Um those are the people that now, now you you would hope the stress test does it jo its job but um Canadians are spending money on a lot of other things right now and uh I haven't seen it slow down yet from going out 
to malls or movies or i reached out to, to my database guys this week and i just sent out an email saying hey everybody you got to get ahead of this and i've sent out multiple of these before and the response i got was from many people saying it's really good that you're reaching out to make sure your clients are okay fantastic hmm. no one reached out to say i'm hurting how do i fix this not one single person. I sent that email to, I think my database is 1,250 people or something like that. Not one person replied. And the open rate was a better open rate than I've had on, I think, any other email I've sent out. Nobody. So we either have a bunch of people burying them, their heads in the sand, not paying attention. There's got to be some of that, though. Like, There's no way not one person was in, an, was in a problematic situation. Nate, is that not such a great idea for all real estate agents to, to send out an email to their clients being like, hey, you guys okay? Uh, it's critically important. I, I remember, you know, it's, it's, it's what I was doing in 2008, 2009. It's what I was doing in the, in the pandemic, you know, yeah. just checking in and make sure everybody's okay. And, and uh, it's, it's critically important, especially these are your past clients, the people that know, like, and trust you. Uh, you got to be able to uh, show that you're there to protect them any way that you possibly can. And, you know, it's, you know, Steve, to your point is you're not you're surprised that not one person got back to you. I'm not entirely surprised by that either, because, you know, especially in 08, it was a, it's an extremely difficult situation and people don't want to believe what is actually happening, especially when you're in being faced with, uh, you know, distress. It's it's the idea of your home being taken away from you. That is something that. um it's, you know, as you can only imagine, it's extremely difficult to either recognize and to settle into, and they'll do everything they can to try to, to push it away. But um, but just continue to be there and say that I'm here as a resource for you, and I, I'm truly here to help any way that I can. Um, it's, it's, it's difficult. I mean, I tell you, the, the living rooms and dining rooms that I sat in and the conversations that I had, it's just, uh, it was, uh, I was just happy that I knew I could be there to help. Crazy. So currently, currently you're having a different conversation. I want to totally transfer this into, I want to spend the majority of time on uh, this open offer style, removing blind bidding, whatever you want to call it right now. Because right now here, this is the fix. Apparently it has nothing to do with letting in uh, four times the amount of immigration. It has nothing to do with the fact that we're not building it has nothing to do with the taxation of uh, brand new developments being 25% of the develop like development fees or 25% of the purchase price. Nothing to do with that. Affordability is because these three bad guys on this call right here all participate in a closed bidding system or what is now being referred to as a blind bidding system. You are part of an option. I'm not going to call it the solution because I don't think it is a solution. I think it is an option for homeowners. Um, can you give us the introduction? And I would like you to speak to me as if I'm the homeowner because mm -hmm. what I want to do, I'm a, I got some real estate uh, backend questions as well. But yep. what I want to do is I want to, I'm going to give you a scenario of what mm -hmm. I would want for my home. Mm -hmm. And then you can tell me kind of how we would go about that and you can pitch it to me just like I'm your seller and you're my listing agent and we can go through it that way. So yeah. tell me about uh, this, this new option.
This episode of the Tom Story Show is brought to you by Doormat.ca. Everyone is looking for a real estate lawyer that they can trust. So in Ontario, you're going to need a real estate lawyer to close a property. So whether you're buying or selling, you're going to need a real estate lawyer to help you. Doormat is Ontario's real estate lawyer now. Now, it's an online real estate law firm. So it's basically taking... Uh, what you've experienced before with real estate lawyers to the 21st century, and it brings transparency and simplicity to the real estate transaction, which typically for a lot of people is like a black box. They don't really know what's going on. They're like, has the transaction actually closed? Well, Doormat is going to make that a lot better for you moving forward. With Doormat, you get a personalized dashboard that enables you to track the progress of your closing, share information with your lawyer as needed, and access important documents whenever you need them. Use Doormat to close your real estate transaction in Ontario and you get a real estate lawyer with personalized service and a custom dashboard to help you stay on top of everything that is happening with your purchase or sale. If you're buying or selling a property in the province of Ontario, Canada, reach out to doormat.ca today and tell them that you heard about their services on the Tom Story Show. I've looked at a lot of these programs before and Doormat knows what they're doing. I would highly recommend them and I hope you check out their services. And now back to the show. Yes, well, this, this new option addresses a number of concerns. If you look at the marketplace as a whole, consumers, number one, think the entire offer process takes way too long because the reality is it does, right? Number two is consumers in Canada, in the US, everywhere, are demanding transparency. The reason why they're demanding transparency is they don't trust the system. They don't trust the process. They don't trust that there's actually offers they're competing against. And if there are offers, they don't trust the information that's being fed to them is actually real. So consumers, two parts. One, they wanna speed up the offer, the offer negotiation process. And then number two, are demanding transparency. But then it opens up an opportunity for a platform such as what I'm going to be sharing. So it's called finaloffer.com. And we'll talk about this in a second. But what it does, it allows you to be able to negotiate your real estate transaction with complete transparency, offering complete clarity to everybody involved in the transaction. It addresses two major pain points, one from both parties, one for the seller. Sellers, they want to sell their house for as much money as possible. But the best way that a seller can be in a position to sell their home for top dollar with the best terms and conditions is only when they can demand competition. Because it's only through competition where you will create that competition, which will demand the house sells for more money with the least amount of terms. Without that competition, that's not possible. But there's another side of that transaction, and that's the buyer. The buyers, they never want to feel as if they're overpaying for a property. Right? There's not one buyer that's listening to this right now that likes to feel as though for overpaying, so-called the blind bidding. But if a buyer knows exactly what the other offers are that they're having to compete against, they then have the power and the control then to make a decision to improve their offer as necessary to ensure that they get the house that they want. That's what final offer is. Final offer is not only an offer negotiation platform, but for real estate agents, it's an offer management platform. It allows for when somebody presents an offer, you're, you know in real time that one, the seller and the agent have both received the offers 
and the list or the buyer's agent and the buyer also have confidence that their offer was also received, knowing that the seller has seen the offer. Now, can't imagine there's any agents in Canada that may you know, misplace offers or maybe not communicate clearly that how offers are to be presented or when they're to be presented. Can't imagine that would ever happen in Canada. Never happens, not once Doesn't sound ever. like us. No, but in, it, what Final Offer does with the management aspect of it, with just the base of what Final Offer is, it allows you to have confidence that your offer was presented and submitted and it's been received. Now, there's a different level to this. Like, you know, as I said, so if agents are hearing this, there's different levels. Not everything has to be transparent, but what is transparent is that the offer was received. Okay. And you have one on the table. Now, within the negotiation aspect of it, this is the different level. This is allowing you to be able to negotiate with complete transparency. What final offer does, it allows you to be strategic within your pricing. You have an MLS list price, which we all know what that is, right? An MLS list price. You have a minimum committed offer price in terms, which I'll explain the details of what that means in a second. And then you have the final offer price in terms. The final offer price in terms is a price in terms that is the buy me now button. They can see it if they say, I wanna have that house. I wanna take it off the market right now. I don't wanna compete against anybody. Let me take it down at this price with these terms. Now the price is a price in which that it's not too high where it's not achievable. It's not too low where you're leaving money on the table because nobody wants to do that. It's being strategic in regards to how you position yourself so you can demand the very top dollar with the best terms. Because when they hit the final offer price and terms, the terms are clean. This is an as is, no inspections, no financing, free rent backs, whatever it is that the seller demands comes with those final offer terms and conditions. Right? That's the final offer terms and conditions. When they click that button, they can take it off the market immediately. No competition. Now, then there's the MLS list price. Well, here's the thing. If a house is listed at $600,000, not using final offer, but just traditionally listed at $600,000, if you receive an offer at $600,000, are you obligated and committed to accepting that offer? Not always. No, because it could be something. You could say, oh, no, you're, no, you're not obligated. No, because there could yeah, be yeah. bad terms in the offer or a long closing or yeah. That's correct. And, and how frustrating is it for buyers to say, well, no, no, I made, I gave you an offer for 600,000. What do you mean you're gonna shop it? What do, you, what do you mean you're not gonna give me an answer right now? Give me clarity to when you're gonna be accepting my offer. Mm. That's extremely frustrating for a lot of the buyers in the marketplace. And we understand that. Mm -hmm. So the MLS list price, is not a commitment on behalf of the buyer or the seller. It's just advertising. With final offer, what we've created is a minimum committed offer price and terms. What that means is the seller is stating to the consumer, I will commit to taking an offer at $600,000 if it meets these terms and conditions. If you give me an offer, as an example, I listed a house today. This house is listed at $850,000. So if you go into finaloffer.com today, straw bale lane, you can see it. The minimum committed, the MLS list price is $850,000. The minimum committed offer price in terms, the commitment the seller's saying, if you give me an offer at $850,000 today, it starts an offer window for six days. 
And Nate, just for a second, is the MLS price and the minimum committed price usually the same price? I recommend it to be the same price. It does not have to be. Okay. And I'll explain. It's all strategy. And mm-hmm. this, and when using final offer, you have to work with an agent. Okay. So for the agents that are listening to this, this is not another tool to replace us, right? This is a tool for us to use. It elevates what it is that we're bringing to the market, elevates the experience that the consumers are having. So you have to have an agent to be able to make an offer, to list on this platform, what have you. Because these strategic decisions you're making when it comes to pricing and terms, you got to rely on a professional to help guide you through this process, right? So when you're looking at, so yes, they, Tom, to your point, they don't have to be the same. They could all be three completely different numbers. Okay. But for this particular property that I listed today, $850,000 is the MLS list price. I also made it the minimum committed offer price and terms where the seller said, Nathan, if somebody gives me an offer at $850,000 clean, I'll explain in a second, then it will start an offer window to close in six days at five o'clock, right? So if somebody gives me an offer, it meets the minimum committed, starts an offer window to close at five o'clock, six days later. Now, but there's terms involved in this. What we need to do is we need to decipher the difference between offers. Because without the platform, you say you have 10 offers, okay? You don't just use, you know, you gotta look at the price and the terms to determine which one is the best offer. Because if you do these escalation clauses, which you see all the time in the marketplace right now, these people say, oh, I'll pay $5,000 over any other offer. And then it's just a race to see who's paying more. But that's not fair. Because the person you might be racing against might have contingencies that you don't have. And you're only being compared based on the price alone. You're seeing prices run significantly higher than they otherwise should because they're not being compared properly to who they're competing against. With final offer, we offer clarity to that because we put values behind each one of these terms. Once again, as an example, regards to that one property that I listed, minimum committed offer price, $850,000. I said, hey, look, it's okay if you have financing. It's okay if you have an appraisal. It's okay if you have a home inspection. But what we're stating is that if you choose to have an appraisal finance contingency, I'm going to devalue your offer by $5,000 compared to another offer that came in that did not have financing. (laughs) If you want to have a home inspection, that's fine. But if you do choose to have a home inspection, I'm going to devalue your offer by $2,500. If you choose not to buy it as is, I'll devalue by 25. So and they, those is, those values are based on each specific property, what you and the seller decide you, you're putting on that value, correct? It's not like a blanket value for all listings. It is not. It okay. is not. This is, once again, why you want to work with a professional to determine what are those threat, what are those spreads, you know, and what do they, how do they calculate in each individual marketplace? So what I've then created was $10,000 of devaluated terms. So for somebody to meet the minimum committed offer price in terms, they can either give me an offer price of 850 clean, or if they wanna have financing, if they wanna have appraisal, if they wanna have a home inspection, they're not willing to buy it as is, then what we're saying is that you would have to give me an offer at $860,000 to get the minimum committed offer price in terms. Hmm. At that point in time, if somebody gives me that minimum committed offer price in terms, it is then exposed to everybody in the marketplace that had saved the search for that particular property. Letting anybody and everybody know that if an offer comes in, you know, for them to make an offer, they have to now be a half percent higher than the current offer that's on the table. For Just somebody, so they, to be- they know that price then. So it's like yeah. if the current offer is eight sixty with conditions. Correct. 
So okay. they so know you, that the no come in. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. Sorry, I'm going to interrupt here. My brain is slow, Nate. I apologize. It's okay. So then, if we're going to, so if I can come in with, let's say, that half percent higher without conditions, I could still potentially get it lower than that current price. That's correct. Okay, cool. Sorry, yeah. I'm slow. No, 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 that's a good question. So for somebody to make an offer, all they have to do is number one, they have to attach themselves to an agent. Now, it could either be the listing agent or a buyer's agent, whatever. They just have to be associated with an agent. Then they have to upload a pre-approval letter or financial statement, what have you, to show that you're financially capable of being able to purchase the property up to X amount, whatever that number is that they're looking to make the offer for. Us as the listing agent have to approve the buying power of that particular buyer before they can make an offer. When we do that, we verify the funding, we verify the loan, whatever it is, we make the phone calls that are necessary. Once we've approved their buying power, they then can then make an offer. But what's different about final offer is that they're not having to fill out, like in the States, it, to write a book offer, it's 60 pages. It takes 45 minutes to go through an offer. Like it's, it's, a, it's ridiculous. Within final offer, rather than having to do that, once I've approved your buying power, all you're then filling out is a term sheet that shouldn't take you more than three minutes. When the offer is done, the term sheet goes up, the offer has to be higher than the minimum committed offer price and terms in order for it to be exposed. Because the alternative to that is, say I'm listed $850,000 and they don't wanna give me an, an offer at 850. Maybe they wanna give me an offer at 825. Well, when they give me that offer of 825, then it is not exposed. It just shows up as a proposed offer. <laughs> so when consumers see, yes, there's an offer, but it's proposed, it does not commit my seller at all to accept that offer. But the seller could say, you know what? We've been on the market three weeks. I will be okay with this. And you can then click in and expose it and start Even the process. That, you could do that as a strategy. Or using that example, say you've been on the market for two, three weeks, nothing else has come in. That's the proposed offer. As I said, this is an offer management and offer negotiation platform. So what you can then do is you say, okay, using that example, offer comes in as proposed at 825. We're listed at 850. I, within the platform itself, we go back to that buyer, say, okay, Mr. And Mrs. Buyer, thank you so much for the offer. You have one of two different options. Option number one is if you take option number one, we're going to count you back at 835. And at 835 with option number one, if you accept this, you're going to allow me to expose your offer to everybody else that was interested in this property for 48 hours. If no other offers come in, we will commit to your offer. Or option B, we're going to count you back at 845. And at 845, you can take it down right now and I'm not going to expose you to anybody. Hmm. What do you want to do? What we've been able to find is you looking at option A, option B is 77% of the time they're picking option B. People are concerned that they don't want to compete. It's the sense of urgency that we create causes people to make a decision because ultimately they have the control. They don't want to compete. So that's been the power of setting that not only MLS list price, minimum committed offer price, but then you have the final offer price. Now let me explain the dialogue and how that goes. So you see you get activity on a house, get a number of different showings, you know, you got somebody made a minimum committed offer price and terms that, you know, whatever, an agent calls me and says, Nathan, how does this whole thing work? Explain. What final offer does allows you to negotiate with complete transparency. I just need you to associate yourself with an agent, upload a pre-qualification letter, 
showing me that you have the buying power in order to move forward. Then at that point in time, you can make an offer. It's just a term sheet, shouldn't take you more than three minutes. And then your offer is exposed if you hit the minimum committed offer price and terms. But no, once your offer is exposed, anybody else can make an offer. It has to be a half percent higher than your offer. And then know that at any time, somebody can take it off the market by hitting the final offer price and terms. Well, Nathan, I don't know that my buyer wants to go that high as of yet. Well, that's fine. But while you're deciding whether or not your buyer wants to go that high or not, somebody else is maybe making the decision to take it off the market right now by hitting that button. Now that is up to you. You then decide. A yes, question Steve. from Steve. Okay. Question from the peanut gallery. <laughs> um, okay. So final offer price, very, very high price, probably so, something seller super happy with and terms. Can I exceed that price because I want those conditions in? So for instance, if in this uh, one you've been using, let's say for instance, it's, it's 900 is the number. You're so good, and, Steve. I think, I think and, we know it because that's exactly what my final offer uh, price is. Good job. Man. Okay, cool. So 900 is the number. Now, I, but I need, I want conditions. I want all of those things. So now I actually have to go to 910 to do that. Or is the final offer price no conditions? Final offer is no conditions. Okay. So if, like, I had somebody say, well, Nate, you know, we were listed at 595. I had a minimum committed set at 620. Okay. Well, I'm sure this is all the strategy part. And I set the final offer price at 700. The final offer price included free rent back from my sellers. Hmm. The guy, somebody called me up, said, Nathan, my clients want to hit the final offer, but they, they'd rather not pay for the seven days of free rent back. Would your sellers pay for the rent back for seven days? Well, of course, I called my seller. The highest sale in this neighborhood ever was 650. So when we're looking at a $700,000 purchase, my seller said, you know, yeah, I think I can cover the seven days. So I changed the terms of the final offer to accommodate that particular agent and buyer so that they could take it down by hitting the final offer price and terms. And but when, to your point, oh, sorry, Nate, keep going, keep going. But to Steve's point, Steve, they if they would have made an offer at say 700,000 and they weren't willing to give the rent back, they would not have been able to click the final offer button unless I changed it. Now, let's say someone starts the open bidding process by making that minimum committed offer, right? Now, now then it opens up for six days or however, however long it is for that specific listing. And the final offer price, let's say in this scenario, yeah, it's 850. The final offer is 900,000. You get the 850 off, offer, it opens, and then people go back and forth and it gets to 890 or something. And at that point, both of, let's say there's three offers going back and forth with each other. None of them are willing to take out the conditions or the contingencies. So none of them are willing to just hit that button to go up 10 more and just get it. Is it possible that it goes up to $920,000 with them bidding with conditions? So it could yeah. go over the final offer price if it's not firm is basically how it could happen. That's correct. Has that ever well, happened to you? Sure. Yeah. Um, to, well, not to me, no. Okay. Uh, to, to other agents, yes. Okay. Reason why I say to me, no, is the best offer I can provide to my sellers, not only the highest price, but it's also the best terms and conditions. As an example, if I've devalued, if you had financing and appraisal conditions of $5,000, okay, and using the example that I have of the you know final offer at $900,000. So say I get in a bidding war and it escalates and it escalates well over 900, but nobody's willing to remove their financing and appraisal conditions. Well, at the end of the day, 
it's not going to appraise at that. So I got a problem. Mm. So because I, I'm forecasting this, so what this platform does, it allows you to truly be a negotiator up front. So before I allow it to run out of control, I'm going to pull as many levers as I can in being strategic to protect my client that either when I see the offers start to come in, if I recognize nobody's willing to remove appraisal and financing because they're too scared of you know the delta that they'd have to make up the difference if it didn't appraise, I can always throw in to the negotiation, which I would not do up front, but I could throw in through the negotiation and say, okay, I've adjusted my minimum committed offer price in terms on behalf of the seller. They say now my seller is willing to put in $10,000 appraisal gap coverage, which makes you, Mr. and Mrs. Buyer, you would only be liable if it did not appraise for $10,000. When buyers recognize, wait a second, my liability is only $10,000. Well, I'm comfortable even running up even higher because mm -hmm. they're looking at that. That's one option. That's one lever I can pull. Another lever I can pull is that final offer price in terms. Remember, I can raise it, I can lower it, or I can get rid of it any time. So if I see offers that are coming in and one offer is at that 890 and they're clean, well, I can always reduce that final offer price down to 890, 895, make a phone call. What do you guys want to do? to reposition it so that I can create the very best package for obviously that of my sellers. So you're negotiating on the phone with these agents while they're using the system at the same time. Mm -hmm. uh, and that can happen over a five or six day period. It could. Right. Um, now, we just saw a report that came out that said in multiple offers, uh, most or sorry, most of the time, it was 80% of the time, the highest price was picked. 20% of the time, the highest price was not picked for another reason, unconditional. For instance, maybe they just like the fact that they were a young family buying the house instead of an investor or whatever it was. So if you adjust for that on the website, how do you know somebody else just doesn't click that button in the interim? Does that make sense? This episode of the Tom Story Show is sponsored by Carish Real Properties. Here's the deal. If you're moving to Fraser Value, oh my God. Here's the deal. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's see if you can at least get this right, Tom, because you've screwed it up so many times before. Fraser? Say it with me. Fraser. 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 Valley. Fraser. Okay. Yep. Fraser. Pick it up from there. Fraser Valley. F Fraser Valley. F Fraser. No. No. Fraser. Fraser Valley. Rick Just Razor. say Sir. Surrey. If you're moving to Surrey, there's one person that you need to call, and it just so happens to be my podcast co-host. Now, I am I make lots of jokes, you know, at Steve's expense during the podcast. But but the reality is, if I was moving to Surrey or the surrounding areas, I would call him because they're really damn good at what they do. They understand the market. And I know whether you're buying tomorrow or you're going to buy in two years, they will be with you until the end of the transaction. They know what they're talking about. They have experience. Even though Steve looks old, he's not actually that old. So he's still kind of hip, right? He's, he still kind of knows what's going on. But I have personally referred my clients when they're moving out there to Steve and his team, and they've always done an amazing job and rolled out the red carpet for them. Now, Steve, I know it's weird that you're even here as I'm doing this ad read, but if someone were to be moving to your area, how could they connect with you? Uh, super simple. You can go into the show notes, uh, book a call with me right now using the link in the description of this show. Uh, pick a time that works best for you. Set up a call, either a buyer 
consultation, a seller consultation, or Tom Story's line, if you just want to have a chat about real estate, you can do that too using the link in the description below. Yeah. And I know uh, from personal experience with my clients, you know, connecting with Steve is that it's it's a no pressure situation. You're just going to be educated. And when you're ready to make that decision, they'll be there to guide you through it. Also, if you are a real estate agent that listens to our show and you have clients moving out to the West Coast of Canada, connect with Steve first and see if they can be of assistance. You can go into the first link in the description and book that call with Steve directly as well. Thank you. And now back to the show. Wait, Tom, you forgot one thing. This communication is not intended to cause or induce breach of any agency agreement. Existing agency agreement? I think I got it right. Um, like if there was a really, uh, now this would have to be somebody sitting there ready to like click the button the, the second you changed it over. But I mean, that's that's maybe where, somewhere where my mind goes like, it's okay. It, or yeah. can, can I take it off of that system when I in theory have something going on with this person? Can I like take it off and finish the deal? Or how does that work so two, two two answers to that question so in the in the way they say well what if somebody else clicked it before the other one that you framed it for clicks it that's yeah. that's okay that's part of transparency i'm okay. changing the terms in fin the final offer price in terms to expose to everybody everybody okay so, so i don't care who clicks it as long as they meet those terms for my seller Does that makes sense so mm -hmm. everybody's got a fair shot at it and I'm then everybody on any kind of open bidding system, like if you're doing a charity auction or whatever, when you click that button, here's my new one, and we're getting really close to the end of the auction. How, so it's half a percent you said higher. How about, so in my market, I mean, you're, we're a million dollar uh, average sale price on across all asset classes. So you're increasing, but at the same time, uh, I totally forgot my question. I lost my train of thought. Um, right. <clears throat> so, I've got sorry, some questions. So, no, sorry, sorry, sorry. Here okay. it goes. I got it back. What is the what is the timeline? There must be an extension. Yes, great question. Right. Yes. Right. So we, there's something called, and I was going to say, I, I knew what you're trying to say, Steve. I knew where it was coming yeah. out. There's uh, something called auction snipers. You guys ever hear that? It's eBay. They got these auction snipers that it's like AI that clicks on the yeah, button yeah. right yeah. before they come in. You can't do that on final offer. With final offer, say your deadline's at 5 p.m., okay? So any offers that come in within 20 minutes of that offer window closing, it extends the offer window for an additional 20 minutes. Okay. Mm -hmm. okay. So if an offer came in at 4.50, now it just extended the offer window till 5.10, allowing for everybody to be notified and make whatever adjustments are necessary to ensure they have an opportunity to be able to make an additional offer. So people are being notified via text, via email, the agent is getting the notification as well as the buyer and or seller is also getting all the notifications in real time, completely transparent. And I like the fact that you can't go up by a cent because then it would just become stupid yeah. and people yeah. would abuse that. Um, now you can they, go higher than half percent. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you, you go any lower than that. Otherwise it goes on, go on forever. So, Here's what I want to get to with all of this. Um, when Trudeau was reelected in Canada not that long ago, one of the main things he was running on on housing was eliminating, I think the wording was maybe like the predatory practice of blind bidding. Like they really tried to make it like this terrible, terrible thing. And even though 
we, the finger's been pointed everywhere, right? But it all comes back to demand and supply, immigration, how many homes are we building, inventory levels, all that. But this is now the new thing that the media has grabbed. They say, this is now the problem. Now, Nathan, you are the only person I know because everyone else is, is talking theories here or like maybe this happens, maybe this happens, this isn't going to happen. We've had people comment saying like, well, when I bid on a house, the I was the second top offer and the top offer sold for 140 grand over me. And that's the problem with blind bidding because and I'm like, well, that doesn't mean your offer was any good. Just, just because your offer was lower doesn't mean it was anywhere near what the seller would have ever taken. It's more of an issue if it's an offer the seller would have taken and it sold for 140 grand over that. So I want to know, does final offer make real estate cheaper? Is it more affordable now? And not just final offer. I'm talking about open offer platforms in general. I know it's not the only platform. Is this going to solve the housing problem of affordability? I mean, no, it, it, it allows... It is, that's not the platforms and negotiations don't have anything to do with that is to what you said before it's supply and demand i mean it's right. that that's what it comes down to but what this does is it empowers buyers to make educated decisions based on the information that they have you know yep. the number one complaint about our industry in real estate is the lack of communication the lack of transparency is the number one complaint by consumers mm-hmm. so what final offer does and this open offer platform, right? It allows for that. Everything's clear. There's no questions. There's no doubts. So, you know, I get, I get other agents say, well, Nathan, I don't know. Like if you pick a final offer price, what if you pick it too low? Well, don't pick it too low. (laughs) You know, that's why you're a professional. You should know the potential runs that your property could potentially have. Now to put it in perspective, you know, this makes sellers obviously very happy and it should make agents that are considering use this platform happy and i don't share these numbers just to impress you guys but this is the reality before i was using final offer you know i was doing fairly well for my sellers the average agent in my area sells their listings for 98 percent of the original list price okay and that's an average of about 27 days on the market before i was using final offer my listings would sell at 107 percent of the original list price. So on average, I was already getting 9% more from my sellers because of what it is I did for exposure and negotiations, what have you. Now that I've been using final offer, my sellers are receiving on average 114% of the original list price. I'm getting on average 16% more for my sellers than anybody else in the marketplace. And so Nate, just to, just to give you a counter argument for a second here, just because I know people are listening to this and trying to think like, wait, did Nathan just say that this open offer platform is making home sell for 7% more? Well, it's not just the platform. It's also because Nathan's a damn good agent and does great with exposure and other things as well. But comparing it to before you were using final offer, just to make sure it's clear, was the inventory levels of your market the same as they are now? Or was there more inventory before? Like on an even playing field, our home's going to sell for more on this platform? Yeah. So, so you put it in perspective. So I started using the platform the beginning of this year. Yeah. Prior to this year, whereas the craziest markets we've seen in the last few years, I was getting 107%. Wow. Now I'm getting 114% with today's market. Now, is it, is it inflating numbers higher than what they should otherwise be valued at and property? No, because people can clearly see that this is what the house are selling for. I can go to an appraiser and say, no, no, there's 10 offers. These are 10 legit offers that you can see with the price terms and conditions showing you that who determines the market. It's not you, Mr. and Mrs. Appraiser. Yeah. It's the buyer. 
So this transparency allows consumers to make educated decisions. And what's so powerful is I had a client, known the guy, I've known, he's been my client for 15 years. I've sold him eight properties. He refers me out to his families and friends, right? He trusts me. There's a property that came on the market on final offer coincidentally, and it was listed at a million fifty. An offer came in right out of the gate and came in at one one five. My client saw it, they loved it, they had it pre-inspected. They said, Nathan, we want to make a clean offer and we want to do an escalation clause up to 1.2. I said, no, I appreciate that, but here's the thing. Within final offer, you don't really do an escalation because you can see it happen in real time. So, you know, he's like, no, I know, but Nathan, I don't want to go any higher than 1.2. Okay, well, let's wait for the, you know, the process to start and then we can make a determination from there. But Nate, I don't want to go any higher than 1.2. Now, I'm sure the same way you guys have had conversations with your clients before I had with John. And I said, now, John, I just want you to be comfortable. When it comes to pricing and figuring out where your cap is, I want you to be able to sit and be comfortable that you, if somebody paid 1.25 thousand, you would be okay with it. Mm -hmm. And he says, yes, Nathan, I would be totally fine. I don't want to go in higher than one two. Well, what happened was the offer window opened up. An offer came in at 115. Another one came in at 1175. He makes an offer at 1185. Somebody else comes in at 12. He wants to go up to 1210. I said, wait a second, John. It said you did you said you didn't want to go higher than two. He goes, now that I can see the other offers, yeah. I'm comfortable going higher. Then another offer came in at 12122. He's like, Nate, I want to go to 123. I said, John. Nathan, I know what the other offers are, so therefore I feel comfortable going that high. Then the other, then another offer came in at one two five. Another one came to one two seven five. He was out. So you sell for more, likely because we have an open bidding system, which I think is what's likely to happen in my market as well. How often do people go screw this and buy it now? The final offer button. Right now we're tracking, uh, as of right now, it's 47% of the time they're hitting the final offer. <laughs> Nathan, it's like, you know, when, so this is only in, in certain uh, parts of the states right now. Um, and I know with your team, you're doing it with, for all your listings. So the data you're giving us, I know, is well over 100 transactions. This isn't like five that you've done. I, I know it's real data. You know, I, I just wonder because this is what everyone's asking for. And, and me and Steve have been very clear on this show for a long time. Like transparency is all good. I'm I'm for it. But as a listing agent, I see all the offers to get in my properties. And I see how often the top one is actually significantly higher from the second one. That's a reasonable offer, not a crappy offer, but like a reasonable offer. And I and I know this isn't truly the issue. It's a supply and demand issue. So I don't, I can't officially say a final offer is coming to Canada, but something like it or it at some point is probably on its way in the future. Now, if the market remains hot and inventory is low and people get emotional in these open bidding processes, how long until we start hearing, oh, you know what, guys, let's close it back up again. <laughs> we, we actually, we didn't want the open offers. It's actually causing more of an issue than we thought because people are being emotional more emotional when they, than they were that when they didn't know what the other offer was. Um, I, I just like, I think this is a good thing just to be clear. Like I'm all for this. I hope final offer comes to Canada and I get to use it in all my listings. Cause I think it would be wonderful. And I think it's a tool my sellers would actually really, really appreciate. And I think buyers would appreciate it even if they end up paying more because they were transparent with everything that was going on. Um, so this doesn't solve affordability, but it solves transparency. And I think it will be a good thing for the real estate industry in general. Um, so I don't know if that's a question more than just like me 
ranting here, but no, no, I think it's very valid. It's not a question, is but I, well, I want to comment on two of those things you said. What final offer or you know open offers fix is it's consumer advocacy. Yeah, it's looking out for the best interests of the consumer. Who is who is anybody to determine whether or not a buyer paid more money than they should have if they were willing to do it? I mean, they wanted to buy the house and to them, they valued it at that number. Who are we to say that you overpaid and you should feel bad about it? Hmm. You, made the, you made a conscious decision with, with, with transparency. You made a conscious decision to that. And the other thing is, so this is consumer advocacy more than anything else. That's the way I see it. But you also mentioned something else about, and I get this too, because I, I hear this from agents in my area as well and say, well, Nathan, you know, I always get these crazy outlier bids that are significantly higher than what were they're, they're running their run up to or whoever is the run up, you know, the, the second in, in line or whatever. What about that? What if I set a final offer too low and it could otherwise have gone much higher? I, then I hurt myself. And I ask him, well, one, you can not have a final offer price. You can raise it. You can lower it. You can remove it. So you can fix that problem real quick. Oh, That's okay. your it, it said, but the other thing is, is how often does that happen? You're, you're that you're just yeah. making an excuse to not bring transparency to your business. And and Tom, you said it, Steve. I know you believe the same thing. Like we aren't afraid of being transparent. Mm-hmm. We're not afraid of it. If anything, the fact that I can be transparent in the marketplace and invite neighbors to say, "Hey, watch in real time as I list your neighbor's house and see the results in re- t- real time that I demand for your neighbor." I send that out to the sellers in the neighborhood Smart. and say, watch. Don't you just know take what? my word. Watch. Uh, Nate, as a marketing tactic, as a real estate agent, I think that's brilliant. Because like, hey, I've got this house on your street. You know, you'll be notified when a, an offer comes in or if someone hits final offer. Here's the link. You can watch to see what happens. That that's is right. like amazing. Because as we know, within 60 days, there will be another house listed in that neighborhood. Yeah, It's going to happen. So they're, they're now seeing it in real time. In, a, in addition to that, as far as the exposure and just 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 watch and see how it happens, it, it, it allows them to to understand the process. People people can all see it. I'm not afraid of it. And what it does, I think, with any uh, transparency when it comes to negotiations of things or what have you, it it exposes us as agents. Yeah. Yep. And you know what? I'm not afraid of being exposed. I'm not. Uh, you you know if if you're going to expose me to say well you know that Nathan you know he gets he sells his listings for 150 114% of list price okay but what it does is while it exposes the really great agents it's also going to expose the agents that aren't so great yep 100% and you know what? consumers deserve to hire the very best agent yes mm-hmm. they deserve to hire somebody that's going to be looking out for their best interests and what have you of course but the amount of money People are investing in the commissions and fees that are being earned by agents today. Those agents, they need to be able to shop with clarity as well. And you know, I know that's not going to make a lot of agents happy, but you know what? If it doesn't make you happy by hearing that, I want you to look at yourself and say, what do you need to now do to elevate what you contribute to your consumer, to your clients in this marketplace so that you can also be relevant? So you also are not afraid of being exposed. Steve, you, uh, I got something really oh, quick. I, you go yeah. quick because okay, I got okay. a little bit longer and we don't have Nate for much okay. longer here. So 
Nathan, um, the the blind part of the bidding is half of what people are mad about here in Canada. The other half is the underpricing of the listing. So let's say I meet with a seller, the house is worth 1.2. A typical strategy when inventory is under, under two months is listed for 999, hold an offer date, and you'll sell for, you, if we could put it for 1.2 right now, you'll get it, but you might be leaving money on the table. Buyers hate that. So here's my question. On final offer, the the MLS price or the minimum committed offer price to the final offer, is there a percentage or gap that is usually there? Because this could also eliminate the super underlisting where you're going reasonable price because you got to say the price you'd actually take, not just this silly, silly low marketing price. Well, here, here's an example. This is an extreme example to what you're, what you're talking about here. And yes, all that's possible. And so I had a seller that uh, they they had, you know, she was pregnant, getting ready to deliver. He was going through his, his medical exams. Like they were, their priorities were on not on necessarily buying a house, but they had to get in the house before they delivered. So they got caught up in all the hysteria of the market. It was a house listed at five twenty five. They ended up buying it for six fifty. Okay, three months later, they recognized they really don't care for the house or the neighborhood, and they want to sell. They call me in. I did not sell in the house, but they called me in and say, Nathan, we want you to sell the house for us. I said, well, the challenge is you have the highest sale in the neighborhood because mm. prior to this house selling, the comps are such at like 535 at best. So you, in order for you to sell, you're, you're losing a lot of money here. So they weren't prepared for that. I call them back in the spring. I said, hey, guys, you know, inventory, I think there's an opportunity here that if we put our house in the market at 575, we could demand enough competition to get you up over six, which will allow you to not have to come to the table with as much money, which you otherwise thought, so on and so forth. Well, we come to that agreement, 575, you know, we're all ready to go. The next, coincidentally, the next door neighbor, same house, had a carport where mine did not, same condition. They listed at 575, had five offers and closed at 622. I, when they went under contract, I called the agent, he's a friend of mine, he told me that they got 622 for the house. I called my seller, I said, look, the house has just sold this, arguably nicer, sold for 622 after listing at 575. My seller says to me, Nathan, when I looked at the numbers, I can't afford to sell this for less than 620. So I said, my recommendation is to list the house under six in order that you can, so we can clear 620, hopefully. Mm. I said, with final offer, here's a strategy that I'd like to suggest. I would like to list the house on the MLS for 595. I wanna establish a minimum committed offer price and terms at 620. And then set a final offer price at 700. By me stating that, yes, people see it on the MLS at 595. They're showing the house because it's underneath that threshold of 600. Just like Tom, you're using that example, pricing it so-called low to drum, drum up that demand. But we are committing that if you give me 620, we are committing to taking that. So we're actually being more honest with the marketplace mm -hmm. than ever before. When, it's, when it comes to the final offer price, this comes to the using the professional for what it is that they know. Like in my area that I serve in my zip code, your your typical run is between 10 to 12% over list. Okay, that's a typical run on escalation clauses, right? Or, or you know, bidding or whatever. Yep. So when I set final offer prices, I know those runs. So I'm typically gonna set my run to exceed at least 12%. So I know I'm not leaving money on the table, right? Now, a lot of that has to do with kind of supply and demand, like all, there's so many different factors, but that comes down to you got to work with a professional to help guide you through these strategies. Because I never want my sellers to leave money on the table, and certainly never want them to say, but Nathan, I think we set that final offer price too low. I don't want to have that conversation. Nobody wants to have that conversation. 
you you worried sometimes when you list a property and someone clicks the final offer price in like half an hour you're like oh shit (laughs) you know it's funny and this this happened uh two weeks ago i had a house just real quick the next door neighbor which is larger at the end of a cul-de-sac they were listed at 1.1 had multiple offers were under contract at 1215 the agent told me that as well i listed our house at 115 Okay, so fifty thousand dollars higher than the other house is listed at one one that's under contract. Nobody knows what it's under contract for except for me. I set the final offer price at one three and a quarter, knowing that their next door neighbor with a larger house is under contract for one two one five. I'm not leaving money on the table mm. because when that house closes at one two one five, that will be the highest sale ever in the neighborhood. People, I had eighteen showings the first day I was on the market. I had the same conversation. Upload your pre-approval. I approve your buying power. Give me a term sheet. Hits the minimum committed offer price. Opens up the offer window. You're exposed to everybody else. But no, if your buyer really wants it, anytime they can just take it down by hitting that final offer button. When I shared that, because of the transparency, drove the urgency. Yep. They took it down by hitting the final offer button at one three and a quarter. Nate, do we have you for like three more minutes? I have some okay, some Steve's super c- quick rapid fires I want to do. So I just want to let you know my opposition to open offers in the past or open bidding in the past has been privacy concerns for my buyer and for the seller. It's none of your business is my I you know where my offers are is one of my things. But the other thing is this solves the other issue which is agents totally screwing up i don't just want them like open offer here send my offer over to the other agent have them write it better right like that's not what i want so i think this the management side of it is probably the biggest uh benefit um so if i'm an agent and i want to use this system i'm I'm, and i want these like yes or no rapid fire as fast as you can um i sign up once it's maybe approved at my board level, it's just as simple as me having a username and login. Is there an expense to me? Only to the listing agent. To the listing agent. Okay. So that's cool. So I sign up. Now, if I'm on the system, sorry, this is now the only way you're doing it or is this an option for your (coughs) clients? It's always an option for my clients. My clients choose this option. Most often? Most often, yeah. I've 100% of the listing appointments I've been on since this for this year, I've gotten 100% of the listing appointments that I've gone on. 100% of my sellers are using final offer. Would you like 7% more money for your home, Nate? Um, <laughs> that's kind of that's the uh, question I ask. Yeah. yeah, totally, right? Okay, so, that, so that's good. Now, when the property is on uh, final offer, um, where, how do I get get that is that linked to the mls system somehow how do i find out that that's the case and that this is the platform we're using to do it yes in some cases as we're right now we're expanding throughout north america we're linking not only with mls's so it's almost like a display uh widget on the on the actual dashboard of the mls where you can see you know offer registrations or if offers have been received or at least a clock counting down when the offer deadline actually is uh, this is something that could be easily integrated with a realtor.ca uh, that realtor.ca would be able to expose as offers were received. You can see how many offers there are. I know in Canada, some areas of Canada, they don't want to have offers disclosed, right? Because there's privacy issues and all that kind of stuff. This is, like I said, it's an offer management platform as well, where you do not have to disclose offers. So Steve, mm-hmm. to your point, if you don't want your offers disclo- uh, you know, exposed, they don't have to be exposed. What you could then do is you don't even have to set a minimum committed offer price and terms. 
you have an MLS list price and then you have a final offer price, right? Or you don't even have to have a final offer price, but you can set a final offer price that, that's so high that any offers that you re receive, they come in as proposed offers. And remember, a proposed offer is not exposed. So that goes into how we use it in certain states and also certain uh, uh, you know, areas of Canada that you can't you know, disclose that type of information. So that's how it's protected. But to the well, agents well, that tell me, go ahead, oh, sorry. To, to your question as far as the agents, to the agents that say, well, Nate, you know what? Uh, my clients want to make an offer in this house, but you know, they're just not comfortable with uh, exposing their offer. They don't want their offer exposed. I don't think I'm best representing my client by allowing them to expose their offer. I say, I appreciate that, but here's the question I have for you. Is your client interested in seeing the other offers that they're competing against? And inevitably, of course, the agent's response is, well, yes, of course. Well, see, it doesn't work both ways. Mm -hmm. You can't see everybody else's offer and they can't see yours. So Which is what I think a lot of the people advocating for this, like they forget that part, right? So you do have to opt in to... If my mine's also exposed, giving me just as much of a chance to lose as to win, it's not giving me an advantage to win the property. Right. Uh, last question I have for you. Sorry to interrupt so much. I got to get better at that. Last that question: great. How painful is this to explain to agents that have <laughs> no experience with your platform? Yes. Uh, so uh, the average agent in my marketplace sells three houses a year. Okay, so um, do I have a problem explaining it? No, I don't. You know, it's it's all comes down to setting proper expectations. The objections I get, but not a lot, but the objections that I get, a lot of it's education. We do a very good job explaining all the details. Objections I get is one, the exposure object, which you heard how I handle that. And the other is, well, Nathan, I don't necessarily want to learn a new technology. Can I just send you a traditional paper offer? I said, yes, you can, but help me understand this. You would rather spend 45 to 60 minutes filling out an offer that you don't even know that's going to get accepted rather than registering yourself as a licensed agent on final offer, connecting yourself with your buyer, uploading a pre-qualification letter or financial information sheet or you know proof of funds showing that you're financially qualified to be able to make an offer on this property for me to approve than for you then to fill out a three-minute term sheet with your offer. Mm -hmm. Then to find out if you're in fact the winner you didn't have to turn around all the local jurisdictional forms that are necessary within X amount of time. Now, Nate, I don't want to show off, but I think the average agent in Toronto sells four homes a year. So 25% <laughs> more over here. Catch up America. Um, Nathan, we've been keeping you a long time. This was like, I'm very, very happy you agreed to come on here today. Totally. And I know we could have spent an hour just on your real estate knowledge in the market, but I think it was very cool that we talked about this because this is coming. Whether the people listening, watching this like this idea or don't like this idea, the reality is it's on its way and it's happening. And because because we've asked for it or because it's been kind of demonized by the, the government and the news, this is now the solution, which I think a lot of people are gonna like with the transparency side of it. And time will tell if people are gonna like what it does for the prices of real estate. And that's all gonna be based on you know where your inventories are like in your market. Nate, thank you so, so much. You got any final words, any words of wisdom for us? No, I mean, it, this, this is my pleasure. Just reiterate what Tom is saying. It's not, it, this is a part of with local MLSs, with border of realtors, with different real estate platforms. 
It is not, it's not if, it is absolutely when, and it is yeah. absolutely coming. For the, the viewers that you have on this that are uh, in real estate specifically, Inman, which is a, you know, we, most of us know what mm -hmm. Inman is as far as a news organization when it comes to real estate. Inman ranked as hottest technology coming out of 2022 for real estate. Wow. This is, it's here. Yep. And, you know, it's, I, I, I stand behind it uh, because I use it. I stand behind it because my clients love it and the results that we drive. So I would not be on this show talking to you guys or any of my colleagues or any seller if it didn't work. Um, and just final for clarity, you are involved in it. You're a senior vice president of Final Offer, just to be clear with everybody that you are involved in the company as well. Yeah, I'm in charge of the growth of Final Offer throughout North America and eventually the world. Last, last thought, when it, comes, when it comes here, uh, Nate, I'd love to, uh, if, if you need help navigating our loony rules about buyers being able to walk away from contracts at any point in time, let me know. I'll walk you through it. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely, guys. Thank you, Nathan. Thank you, everybody, for watching on YouTube. If you got this far in the episode and you still haven't clicked that like button, make sure to do that and subscribe to the channel as well on the audio platforms. I hope you have a great day. We will see you next Sunday. Bye. Bye, guys.